Um, one of the great things about Canal Lake Bible Camp, one of the things that made, has made camp successful is having um, godly men and women come in and partner with us in, in uh, preaching the gospel and, and teaching and raising up these young people. And we've had the privilege of having Matt Zawada as one of our speakers. This will be his fourth year with us at Canal Lake Bible Camp, and we get to uh, hear from him this morning. And Matt and his wife, Deborah, they are missionaries with Ethnos 360, and they actually work at the school that Dot and Amy and Jacob Marissa were students at in the first part of their missions training. And uh, we're excited to have him with us this week at camp, and we're excited that he, that Matt is with us this morning. So come on, Matt, and share the, God, the Word of God. Uh, what's up? How's it going? Uh, good to be here. Yeah, again, my name's Matt. Uh, very, very excited. Hard to believe it's been four years. Um, when I, the first time we came here, I had one son. Uh, he was two months old. And I was like, how are we going to do this? Like, how do you handle and keep one human alive for so long? This sounds, this is crazy. And we just had our third child, uh, Tallulah. Yep. You can clap if you want to. I deserve it. Uh, so that's my amazing wife, Deborah, on the left there. That's Finn, um, Tallulah in the middle, and then Sirsha. And it's just, man, it's an honor to be their dad and watch them grow up and I was even just thinking, yeah, that's Tallulah right there. You can say it. Uh, yeah, like, I get it. She's pretty, pretty adorable. Uh, I was even thinking about how, like, much my kids have changed in four years. Um, and because Finn just turned four. And the first time, you know, just, like, can do nothing. You know, completely dependent upon us. And uh, the other day, Deborah and I were, like, having this fight. I mean, not like a fight because we're missionaries, you know. It was like a, uh, it's like a spiritual discussion. Um, <laughs> You know, always controlled. Uh, and Finn, Finn, man, to the core, turns over at me. He's like, Dad, you and Mommy need to be friends. It's <laughs> like, get out of here, dude, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so cool to see them grow up and develop their own personalities. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to be back here. Uh, actually, I wasn't thinking I'd be able to be here. We just got off family vacation with Deborah's family, and it was in North Carolina, like four hours away, and it just like God aligned it, and so I'm here for my fourth year, and really, really excited to be talking to your students again about how, uh, you know, Jesus is the way. So that's what we're talking about this week. All right, let me pray. We'll uh, get kicked off here. God, thank you so much for our time here together, Lord. I pray that uh, as we dig into your word, that you would just open up our eyes to understand you and your truth, that we would be men and women who do not just listen, but who believe and who act upon what your words have to say. And thank you so much for this morning. Pray all this, and amen. Amen. All right, so uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, what's your pet peeve? You know, like, what's that thing in your life that gets you, like, it's small, but it gets you this like, irrationally, like, big response from you? Um, it turns out, uh, after I got married, that there is at least a partial overlap between Deborah's pet peeves and things that I do. Um, so, <laughs> just a small one, just a slight, slight overlap. And... Uh, one of the first, one of the first times we really got into it in marriage, we've been married for like a couple months, and I had this habit, I would, 
if I'm looking for something, I would go through all of our cabinet doors and just like leave them all open. And Deborah would come in and like every single drawer and door is open. And I'm like looking for a spoon or something, you know? And we just like, we were just like talking. We got really into it because she was like, I married an insane person. Why would you open up every door and not close them? She was being unreasonable, obviously. Uh, you know, just leave it open. What's the big deal? Um, and, but anyway, pet peeves, here we go. And I was thinking about one of my biggest ones. Um, when I turned 16, the first car, my first car was uh, a Saturn SL. And my dad took me to show it one day. It was like, just like what you need to get around, you know? And when I saw this car, my reaction was, whoa, I'm getting a sports car. Like <laughs> this, it's like Lamborghini, Saturn SL, just like, you know, same sentence. These are, this is like, I don't know why, but I was so convinced that this was like some, I don't know, <laughs> like, it's like, is this like some kind of a sports car? I was just totally, I had no clue what I was talking about, obviously. Um, and I drove this car every single day to work at Starbucks and back home. And I remember one day, well, every day on the way back home, there's this one light that would always catch me. It's like, it's yellow, and then it turns red, and you just can't quite gas it, you know, to get, like, to gun it all the way through. Uh, and this one day, I got stuck at it again. And I was just sitting there at this red light, just irrationally angry and frustrated that I got stuck at another one of these red lights at this one stop. And I'm sitting there for, like, 45 seconds. It's not even a big deal, right? I'm just sitting there stuck at this light for 45 seconds, discontent discontent because I'm stuck and I'll be like one minute longer till I get home here's the problem guys um, if I'd been born like, just like you know a few centuries ago I would have been like riding home on a horse right I would like have to feed and take care of this like living creature and like show it love and teach it and train it and make sure it didn't get like eaten by a bear or something. And you know, like the fastest horse, they, they bred horses for millennium and the fastest horse ever went like 55 miles an hour for like a second. And now if I get stuck behind somebody going 65 on the freeway, I'm like losing my mind, okay? Like get out of the way, I need to go faster than this. Uh, I can travel at a controlled speed of 80 miles an hour, something which most of human history could never ever do. Like if you're a young earth scientist, you would say that earth is about 6,000 years old, and that means that cars have only been in existence for like 0.5% of all of human history. And then, in this car, I can control the weather. I'm like Gandalf the Grey in this thing, man. I'm like one degree up, one degree down. Exactly, 72, 73. I control the temperature. And I've got on my phone, I've got access to all the world's music. Any song I possibly think of, I can just search for it and play it off my phone. You know, back in the day, if I wanted to control the temperature, I'd have to like become a, you know, the emperor of some country and take over another country and make people like wave me with palm, uh, palm branches and stuff. It was ridiculous. And I'm sitting here at a red light in a miracle of human engineering discontent. One minute? Are you serious right now? 
I gotta sit here again? I mean, some of you guys probably had like road rage on the way here this morning. You're like getting picked at the person next to you or something or whatever. Which brings us to our topic for today, which is this, contentment. You know, there's something that resonates about that story with us because there's all, everybody has something like that in their life that's maybe small and maybe insignificant, but when it happens, it's like, gets this reaction from you. You know, I was at one point happy with a car and then I got used to it. At one point, humanity was excited about the automobile and now we just have one. Um, Sure, the bad things that happen to us make us unhappy, but the good things that happen to us don't seem to make us happy for that long either. And so we struggle with contentment. We struggle to be content with where we are. We struggle to be content with what we have. We just aren't good at it. We're terrible. Um, We struggle in our marriages to be content with the person that we've been married to. We struggle to be content at our work and with the jobs that we're doing, either the boring or stressful. We struggle to be content with our coworkers. Almost in all areas, we can see a way in which we struggle to be content. We struggle to be content even with the small details, like a red light or whatever it is. Uh, There's no essential oil for contentment yet, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about it from God's word, but fingers crossed, who knows? Uh, We might not need this in a year. Um, This is a verse that God has really, really been laying on my heart. I'm like talking to myself this morning. This is just what I'm wrestling with. So uh, Paul's writing to the Philippian church here, and he says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what's funny? I'm like reading through this, and I'm realizing this is how I interpret this verse. Ready? He's saying, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So my mind, you know what I immediately go to? I'm immediately like, okay, so he knows how to be content when it's easy, when you've got a lot, you know, and he knows how to be content when it's hard, when you don't have very much. That's like totally not, that's totally, that's terrible. That's totally not what Paul's talking about here. Paul isn't saying when it's easier, when it's hard. Paul's point here is that We're bad at contentment when we have a lot, and we're bad at contentment when we have a little. For some reason, in my mind, I have this idea that if bad things were to just stop happening to me, that I would become a contented person. Man, nope, that ain't it. That's not the reality. Even when we have a lot, or when we have a little, the natural inclination for us is to not be content. 
Even if McDonald's started making the McRib again year round and it was available to everybody and we all had the McRib whenever we wanted it, even then we wouldn't be content, you guys. Look at this thing, it's beautiful. Like who knows what's actually in the McRib or what it's actually made of, but like, okay, sure it's not this for you, but we all do this, right? We all have our McRib, right? Application, okay, okay, nope. Uh, we all have this thing, maybe it's small or big or whatever, we go, man, if this would just fall into place, if they would just make the McRib available year-round at all McDonald's locations, then I could become content. All right, get that off of there. That's ridiculous. Uh, oh, by the way, when I was uh, researching this, there is a McRib locator website. Uh, just a PSA, you know, write it down, uh, think about it. They were all so sure. So sure. Oh, the circumstances, they would just come together. If bad, this bad thing wouldn't happen or I get this thing, we all think it would make us content. Um, based upon our income level, we usually just need a little bit more to be content. Just like, man, it's a couple more thousand a year. I could be content with that. Um, in 2012, the global Gallup poll put their median annual household income up for everyone to see. Their global median household income in 2012 was $9,773 for a household. So on a, like the median household income across the globe was a little, over 10, 000, little under $10,000. The median household income level in the United States that year was 51371 and that's why Americans are so much more contented than other people, right? <laughs> We're just like oozing with it because we got all this money. We're just so just like at peace because of the money, right? Uh, that's how we are. Uh, listen, my point here isn't that you should try and generate contentment by comparing ourselves to people who have less. That's like a terrible idea. It doesn't work either. The secret to contentment isn't comparison. Like to conjure up like the most miserable friend you have and like then compare yourself and like, well, at least I'm not Bill, you know, or something like, how is that going to generate contentment in our hearts? It doesn't. But it does show us this. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us, he who loves money will not be satisfied or content with the money they have, nor he who loves wealth with his income that is also vanity. So if our focus is on money or X or whatever, we already missed it. We already missed the point. Understanding the prosperity of America doesn't help us become content, but it does help us understand this. Life will never be good enough to make you content. Never. We still, like, in the back of our minds, we still, like, think this. If all if the circumstances would just come into place, no. It doesn't matter how many good things come your way this year. It won't be enough to make you content to person. 
That's the bad news, right? But I also have some good news. Here's the good news. Ready? Life will never get bad enough to make contentment impossible. Your life circumstances won't ever generate contentedness in your heart. But the great thing is, is that your life circumstances don't hold the power over you. We live, I live so often like I'm like under whatever is happening to me. Man, so often we, we are frustrated because we think I have to be because this is what's happening to me. Man, I have the right, I tell myself this all the time, I have the right to be discontent because of X or X or X or whatever. Life will never get good enough to make us content. Um, And trust me, I owned a Saturn SL, okay? Like, (laughs) you guys don't even know what I've experienced in life, okay, in that car. The issue with contentment isn't external. It is fundamentally and profoundly internal. And the moment we go, man, if, then we've already missed it. And the amazing thing about Paul's implication here for us, I have some really, really good news. Contentment is available for you. Let's keep reading. At the very end, this is how Paul sums it up. I've learned the secret of being content in, any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I just love that line, the secret of contentment. I spent a lot of time in the marketing world, and everybody's got the secret, like the secret to success or the secret to financial happiness or whatever it is, you know, we've got the secret. And if you just knew the secret... And Paul has it here, and he says this. He says, well, know the secret? It's through Jesus Christ. It's not some complicated or confusing math problem. It's like frustratingly simple. It's like, how do you be a contented person? It's Jesus. The issue isn't us understanding this concept the issue is us like actually believing it. What it really should say is, I've learned the secret to being content. It is a healthy household income comparative to my neighbor and the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it should say because that's what we believe. One of my favorite lines of this, like the... Uh, um, with content, with this, uh, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. It's a very, very famous verse. One of my favorite uses of this, we've seen it at like every kind of sports team, and everybody's like uses this for like, for some reason, physical activity. Um, my favorite use ever, this is from Matt Hughes. He's a UFC fighter. He's one of the best to ever do it. And he's got it up there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can choke hold my opponent for Christ who strengthens me. Arm bar, you know, get you into submission. Like, I think it just, I don't know, it just like makes me like, like it's just awesome. But the context here actually isn't UFC fighting. Uh, the context of this verse is Paul talking about contentment. Paul actually isn't talking about all that we can accomplish, which is how we usually use it. Paul's talking about 
the state of our heart, of his heart. And what he is telling us, it's already stated, is that no matter what is happening around us, no matter what we are going through, we can be content. No matter what is falling apart, there is peace available. And I think sometimes in my life, I just don't believe it. I just don't think I can find peace here. My fair verse that I think just really connects well with this comes from uh, Jesus. And he says this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, doesn't that sound good to you? Doesn't rest for your soul sound good? And so often, we place ourselves in positions of unrest because we just choose to. We really can be at peace. We really can be content. And what Jesus is saying, just come to me. Uh, this sermon is like totally brutal for me because like this is, this is, I'm just wrestling through all this. You know, Paul talks about how he's learned the secret to contentment and I feel like I'm in that learning process right now. But, oh man, Thursday, just like three, three days ago, whatever, Thursday, I'm on family vacation, right? With Deborah's family and we have like, like, I don't know, 15 people like in this house together. And that morning, we go out on this tubing trip. And I forget to wear sunscreen. And I'm just like burned all, like every part of me is burned. Like the hairs hurt. You guys ever done that before where it's like it hurts so bad. Like you touch your hair against something, your body's like on fire, you know. It's like sitting there miserable. And there's like, like this like bright red, miserable tall person. And... Uh, and Deborah, we're trying to sleep, you know, but we have all the kids, and the kids are coming in and, our, in and out of our room at night, and I'm trying to let Deborah, Deborah get rest, and we're like bickering with each other, and we're fighting, and uh, Finn is like super emotional, my son is super emotional, because it's like a new place, and everything's new, and he's like hanging on me, on my sunburn, he's like trying to snuggle in at me, and like, my, like everything's telling me just to push him off, you know, because it hurts so bad, and then my daughter, Searsha, for some reason, just is in a terrible mood the entire day. She's like sitting there next to me. She's like angry. Just like her little heart's full of hate, you know? She's like sitting there, just like angry at the world, like staring off in the distance, you know? And then my youngest daughter, she's teething, and we've given her Tylenol, but she's just screaming, you know? And all I can think is like, vacation, you know? <laughs> Vacation is a lie once you have kids, okay? That is the reality. There's no vacation anymore. You're just parenting in a new house, okay? That's all that's happening there. So I'm just like angry and just like sitting there with like these three children. And God like taps you on the shoulder. He's like, 
contentment Sunday, you know, like, I'm like, shoot. I'll talk about something else. Forget contentment. It's impossible anyway. That's how I feel, right? Um, and so I was thinking about this verse because what does Jesus say? He says, come to me. So I'm sitting there, Toulouse screaming. And I'm like, all right, I got to do it. So I just stop amidst the chaos. I just go to Jesus, you know. Tell him what I'm feeling. Tell him I feel frustrated with family vacation. Tell him I'm just tired, you know. And I tell him, I, I, want, I believe I can experience contentment now. So I told God. On an even bigger level, beyond just like a silly circumstance like that, you know, I've been wanting to work cross-culturally for the last, you know, five years. When I got married, Deborah and I decided that we were going to spend four years getting her citizenship. She was born in Northern Ireland, and we've been doing that. And I've, my heart's always been to work uh, cross-culturally. I don't, I don't really want to be in the U.S. right now, you know. I feel like the Lord's leading me, uh, I, felt like, I felt like the Lord was leading me, you know, to another country. We were talking to the field of Brazil and had like this job or this ministry lined up that we were really both really excited about and felt like finally we got some clear direction. We've been waiting for direction for so long. Uh, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine because he was asking me about Brazil. He's like, I think he'll be in uh, Brazil next year. And I remember saying, I'm quoting myself. I go, unless like the world comes to an end or something, I'll definitely be in Brazil next year. And here I am. <laughs> This is like in January. And then Tallulah's born, and like two weeks later, we all go into quarantine, and it's snowing. It's like, it's like freezing cold in Michigan, like through May this year it was. So I'm just stuck inside with these three kids. It's like raising children in prison, essentially, you know? It's like, <laughs> not that I've raised a kid in prison, but I'm sure this is what it's like. And like, this isn't, like, I don't particularly want to be in Blairsville, Georgia right now. I should have been off raising support for Brazil and Arizona, like, like, during this time period. But what a waste if we let, like, what a waste for discontentment to steal the present. So, that's my next point here. Discontentment closes our eyes to the present. When we choose to be discontent, you know what we do? We go, all right, God, there's nothing left for me here. We just like, turn off. Man, what a waste it would have been for me stuck in quarantine with my three children and my wife and just turn off. In my frustration, God's like, Dude, you've got three months to invest, probably unparalleled three months, to invest in your relationship with your children and with your wife, and you're just going to like piddle away because you want to be outside? It's a joke. Man, I, could, I couldn't even count the number of opportunities God had for me that I'd let just slip past me because I was just frustrated with the circumstances. Man, 
Discontentment just closes our eyes to all the opportunities God has in front of us. And so I want to be working in Brazil. Does that mean that next year when I'm working in Wisconsin, that I just check out? Do I just let discontentment control me? I go, all right, we have, I'm at a place right now with a whole bunch of young men and women who want to get to know the Lord, but I don't want to be in Wisconsin. So I wanted to be in Arizona right now doing support raising, and now I'm here in Blairsville. Well, I just like phone it in this next week. That's what discontentment does, is it steals the present from us. You know, Paul wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. They're called the prison epistles because Paul wrote them all when he was in prison. Imagine if Paul had just chosen to be ticked. He's like, I'm frustrated, God. I'm following you and I'm in prison. But Paul chose to be content and he chose to go to Jesus. And we have four books in the New Testament because of it. In 1675, a man began writing what would become one of the most influential pieces of Christian literature ever. It became the seventh most sold book of all of human history, and probably the second most widespread book ever besides the Bible. The man writing it was Paul Bunyan. The book was Pilgrim's Progress. And he began writing it and wrote the majority of it while in prison in England. Man, think of all we lose because we choose to be discontent. Think of all the opportunities that slip right past us because we just don't like where circumstances have us. The problem with discontentment is it doesn't even help solve our situation. Discontentment doesn't help us in any way. It usually just makes us miserable and the people around us miserable. So when life doesn't go our way, and we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be, maybe we can really make the most of it. Maybe God has us there for a reason. And maybe God is begging us to open our eyes. Man, I feel like he's so oft with me. He's like, Matt, I know you're tired, but this is a chance for you to talk to your son. Man, think of all the moments that we've let slip past us because we've just decided, I don't like these circumstances. Man, I was, uh, I used to work at Starbucks, and this one day, I had this guy, came, I was working at the bar making drinks, and I've got like six or seven drinks, there's like six or seven people at the end of the bar, and I finished making all the drinks, and there was like this one guy, He's like standing at the edge of the bar. He's just looking at me. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay. I'm like, do you have a drink, sir? And he goes, seriously? And I'm like, 
looking around at my friends. I'm like, did he have a drink? I'm like talking to people over the headset. Did he have a drink? And, his, and the next line he used, it's profound, all right? It just like stuck with me. He looks at me and he's like furious and he goes, I'm the most patient person in the world and I can't believe how long I've been waiting here for a latte. And it just like, most patient person in the world. Man, I can't believe I get to meet you today. That is amazing. Oh, in the, how'd you do it? It's incredible. Think of the years of work you had to do to get up to five minutes of waiting for a latte. Oh, it's, but like, I've totally done that. I've been the guy, I don't think I've screamed at anybody, but I've been the guy like, who's like, oh man, this Chick-fil-A drive through is taking so long, you know? Oh, isn't being discontent just miserable? Man, it's just miserable to be discontent. And God's saying, you don't have to be. You really don't. I mean, I don't, I don't know what everybody in here is going through. I, I, I can imagine some of you are going through things that I can't even possibly comprehend. But what Paul is telling us today is that there is peace available for you. It doesn't mean that you just like the circumstances you're in. It doesn't mean that you don't work to change your circumstances. But I'm saying wherever God has you today and tomorrow and the day after, there is peace available for you. And it's not so hard. He's just saying, come to me. And I think God just begs us sometimes. We're miserable, and he's saying, just come to me. So there's been two things that I'm not going to be able to give like an exhaustive, uh, you know, lesson today on how to become content, because I'm still in the middle of it, right? But there's two things that really God's just been working on my heart. Um, It's these two things. It's the power of perspective, And the second thing is the power of a thankful heart. Um, In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul's writing this. And Paul, at this line, just man, just stood out to me. And Paul says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And everything about this is about Paul's perspective. Where Paul is going, I'll be content when life is terrible, because he fundamentally believed that God had purpose in it. Paul understands that God is doing something within Paul. That God is currently in the process with Paul and with you and with me of conforming us into the image of his son. And we know why we're discontent. We're discontent because God is doing that. And the process is hard and it's challenging. And life is full of these lows 
And God is just begging us, man, but I can, I can make you more like my son. And we're going, no, discontent. I'd rather be that. You know, so often we try and approach perspective like, like I already mentioned this a little bit, but with comparison, you know, like when our kids don't want the broccoli in front of them, we tell them, you know, well, they're starving kids in some third world country, you know, and like it never works. Like what kid out there is like, oh, I really see your point. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I'm really content with this broccoli now. Thanks. Like, like do you show me, do you tell me about your kid who did that to you? And I'll be amazed. Listen, comparison doesn't generate a think a content sorry comparison doesn't generate a contented heart paul's paul's thought here isn't that we should focus on other people around us to become content his thought here is that we need to focus on the person of christ it's like it's like i don't know it's just like it's so ridiculous that things we use to try and like generate this contentedness in us like you know phil only has a 36 inch screen tv and mine's bigger than that so i really need to be content with what i have and no it's not at all he's talking about he's talking about that in every situation we can become thankful even no matter how hard it is because we know that god can use it for us and for our own good and paul's saying all right that's the way it is with that i'll be content when you when you can make yourself you make your strength evident in my weakness, okay, I'll, I'll be content with that. The second thing that I've just really been thinking about and reflecting on that I'm just really, really bad at uh, is uh, being thankful. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 really uh, stood out to me. It says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I've just become convinced that I fundamentally believe no matter how dark my current circumstance is, there's always something to be thankful for. And Paul's encouragement here isn't to be thankful for the circumstance. Sometimes we shouldn't be. But we can be thankful no matter the circumstance. And I think in that, if we are willing to be thankful, if we are willing to adopt God's perspective, it becomes really hard to be discontent. Man, if we are willing to go and to run to Jesus when we feel that frustration, man, the promise is that God can meet us there. I want to be a father who utilizes every opportunity in front of me, no matter how little sleep I got. I want to be a husband who utilizes every opportunity in front of me no matter what happened at work. I want to be a man who is content, not because of how good the day went, but because I know that today is the day that the Lord has made. Because my bottom line. It's the only thing you need to remember. Everything else you just forget. Bottom line is this. Contentment enables me to experience God's fullness of life. And that is a, I think, a really profound thought. And if you wanted to switch this bottom line and make it negative, you could put it this way. Discontentment causes us to miss out. So maybe life circumstances aren't what you would choose it to be. 
even though God has something for you where you are. So I haven't learned contentment yet, just in a learning process, uh, but I fundamentally don't want to miss out on anything God has for me because I've chosen to be discontent. And no matter life circumstances for you, no matter what's happening around you, no matter the whirlwind or whatever it is, man, there's nothing better than going to Jesus wherever you are. And that no matter life circumstances, there is contentment, there is peace, there is rest available for you. So, will you go to him? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time here together, Lord. I pray that you continue to teach us to be content um, with where we are, with what we have, that we would not be complacent or indifferent, but that we could be content. We could recognize your hand in our life. We could recognize even the terrible aspects of life's circumstances you can use to conform us into the image of Christ. Um, Lord, thank you so much that you are patient with us. And thank you for our time here uh, today. And I pray all this, and amen.